Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm with Jesse Parker-Humphreys and dialing in from home because of some drama in a training session, <laughs> Becky Taylor-Gill. Becky, what I just, happened? I just rolled my ankle, guys. <laughs> it's not that dramatic. But I was blocking someone. I was being a good defender, but I just... I just rolled rolled over on it and it's real fat this morning and um hobbling around. But the most dramatic part of this is there's a new lesbian night tonight at the <laughs> RVT that I have a ticket to. Oh, I saw. Like, because friend of the show, Katie Baxter, who DJed the Euros party that we threw a few years ago, I think she's DJing, right? I don't know. Oh. But that's exciting. Yeah, I think she is. Um, so I need to... I need Get to some ice on it before then, yeah. Oh my god, I th- might have some crutches if you need to come round. <laughs> I think they might be at my mum's house though. You have to get to West London to borrow some crutches. I think it might be me. a bit spurious, seeing as you couldn't possibly make it into the studio this morning. But if you're then spotted in the RVT later, <laughs> I think HR will have, did, have some words. I did think that when I said, "Can I dial in remote?" But you know, it's the end of the day. It doesn't start till like nine p.m. So I'll have made a miraculous recovery by then. I will be having words. I'm going to go. I'm meant to be going to the theatre tonight, but I'm going to switch it up and go to this instead just to see if you turn up. You're going to be you'll be cancelling your really expensive, expensive theatre tickets just to spy on Becky <laughs> yeah. to see. Guys, I'm going to be I'll on be, by I'm, my friends during the show. <laughs> looking. If you move anywhere out of Peckham, I'll know. <laughs> Guys, I'm being upfront and honest about it. My goal is to recover for this evening and I had to rest it this morning. I didn't want to waste my... Precious, waste. precious walking. Waste. Some would say, coming... Becky, that hanging out with me and Flo is, is not a waste. It's not a waste. It's a and it's actually the premium lesbian brunch. <laughs> brunch. <laughs> but I can hang out with you guys anytime. The well, brunch. maybe you won't be able to anymore. <laughs> yeah. Watch, watch yourself, hun. Remember, though, okay. rice. The most important thing is rice. Yeah. Rest. Ice, exactly. Compression, Rest. Rest. elevation. Are you hitting yeah. all of those right now? I'm resting. It's, it's <laughs> She's elevated. Done one of the four. She's done. Come on, you've got three you need to do. Don't you have any frozen peas? Yeah, ice or frozen peas? Yeah, well, I can't get up and get them now because I'm talking to you guys. So, <laughs> to do it wow, afterwards. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We'll be checking up on that, genuinely. If, if anyone is going to... If you to see the, Becky tonight in the RVT... Guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to the RVT tonight. <laughs> Call her out, take a picture, tag Counterpress, <laughs> and we will be reposting it. Uh, some other drama that we got to talk about this morning, because this is really, really good. And um, it's something that I think we, we dream of in major tournament and little competitions. But we never quite actually get it, which is... The new Gold Cup competition, its first year, we had drawing of lots to see who went through from a group. It's the stuff of dreams. So we had <laughs> Puerto Rico and Costa Rica tied for third place in terms of best third place to get through to the, the next round. Now, I didn't realise, but Theo, my brother, who also works women's football, he's been covering the Houston group stage, which on paper wasn't the most tantalising thing. Obviously, he was given it the big one, but of all the groups, it didn't necessarily have like the biggest names in it. But it ended up being 
the scene of the crime. <laughs> oh, I love Theo's tweets, like the, the videos of the the, lo- the, the, oh, the no. piece of the paper videos. coming in. The videos were like... What a scoop. What a scoop. The videos yeah. were like... Has anyone seen the documentary about Tonya Harding, the Olympic ice skater that the movie I, Tonya was based on? I've not on. seen the doc. So in that, there's a lot of like backstage video of people doing, uh, you know, very suspicious things. Theo's content was giving true crime doc (laughs) a man appearing with a bowl rushing through the back end of a stadium and Theo kind of like chasing around with his phone. And then you've got uh, Theo's picture behind the shoulder of a CONCACAF official revealing that, dun, 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 Costa Rica... One well, you didn't win it. They were picked out of the hat. I mean, you would be fuming if you're Puerto Rico. My noggin would be boiled (laughs) if I was Puerto Rico. But I mean, the game's the game. That's that's what happens. I guess. Same yellow cards. How funny! I know. I mean, to be fair, Concacaf are a chaotic, uh, you know, confederation. But they did have various ways to figure it out, and it just happened that in this case they were tied for literally everything. And they had to get the balls in the bowl and just do it the old-fashioned way. I don't know why. (laughs) Balls in a bowl for me feels less annoying somehow than if they did like a coin flip. Yeah, I can't figure out why. It's literally the exact same Mm. thing. And it was something about gravity. I know. Also, someone someone has to someone has to pick who's had whose tails. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah I suppose someone has to pick the ball. I think yeah. that, I think there is a bit of a, a more neutrality and fairness to just spinning it around and picking it out than flipping the coin because you just don't know how the velocity I think they should of bring that out throw. the captains. Yeah, the velocity of the throw. Well, that I makes think they should difference. bring out the captains and make them do rock paper scissors. I think they should Best have of three or straight I think they out. should have just done a penalty shoot. They should have got both <laughs> yeah. teams and done a penalty Turn shoot. Up. If they can bring Leah Williamson out in the under 21s a whole 24 hours later to retake a penalty, they can make these players come because they'll want to do it. Yeah. Can, and that would be great drama. Yeah. But but the de- a whole penalty shootout after the fact would be hilarious. Yeah, like, exactly. You'd have to <laughs> warm want. up. You'd have to warm up and do it all. Yeah. And that's like a whole 15 minutes. I'm there That's longer it. than that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, also, USA, Colombia, tasty. I know. The USA losing to Mexico really made things tough because there's some strong teams and the way that there's been sort of invitational teams from South America come into this competition, it's a tough draw if you finish runner-up and that's what's happened with USA getting Colombia. So very excited Emma for that Hayes one. Emma Mayra Ramirez master plan working out in ways that maybe she didn't <laughs> expect. Genuinely. 4D chess if it all. Uh, on today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about the end of the international break. We're going to talk about England's game against Italy on Tuesday. Talk about the Nations League final and Spain becoming champions of the first Women's Nations League. And then we're going to look ahead to Sunday's North London Derby. So let's get into it after this. So obviously we touched on England a fair bit on Monday's show, but they played again. Another big win, a 5-1 win against Italy. And... I think it's the most joyous and relaxed and uplifting I've felt about England, probably since the World Cup. 
Becky. And I feel like the general vibe check on Twitter was quite similar. Like people came away from these friendlies feeling pretty good and feeling pretty chill, which in retrospect of the fact that England, well, Team GB didn't qualify for the Olympics and there was a bit of disappointment around that and a lot of discourse around where the Olympics kind of measure up. It was actually really nice to be like, chill, just have some fun, score some goals. Everyone's having a good time. Yeah, I didn't really care, if I'm <laughs> honest. I'm going to be really honest about it. I just, friend, like international friendlies to me are just like, I really can't bring myself to to get hyped up, um, especially with no big tournament like coming up this year. But yeah, I mean... They obviously had a big win. They had two big wins and that's great. And it, I understand like, yes, feeling calmer and more like, okay, like we're in a good place, but I just, I don't feel the passion that I have done recently. I felt, I, f- I mean, there were some bad performances in that Nations League group, which is why maybe I wasn't filled with so much joy, but I really did not necessarily care in terms of, I really desperately needed England to win, but I did feel satisfied about those games more so than I have for any England friendlies really ever because especially in the men's side of England, like those friendlies are dross. But there was something so creative and almost just nice and freeing about these games England played. Yeah, I really enjoyed them. And I think what the Italy game added that maybe we had sort of question marks over in the Austria game was like, how much is this Austria being bad and England being good? And I feel like the Italy win was at least, even though, you know, Italy also have their own obvious issues, (laughs) e.g. unable to defend corners. But I think it just sort of showed that obviously like the intensity and attacking prowess that England um, have didn't wasn't like a one-off in that sense. And I think also if you do take in the end of those Nations League fixtures. So the win over Scotland and albeit the late win over the Netherlands at Wembley. Um, And I know Wiegmann talked about this a lot, but I do feel like there's a sense that even in that December camp, despite the fact it ended in disappointment, which maybe coloured those games, but like that England had already started to pick back up again. Um, And yeah, I think for England, the excitement will be the feeling that even though they rotated quite a lot and they played quite a lot of different players, that they came away from both games looking really good. Um, I do think there are still some kind of defensive transition concerns for England that um, Italy were were able to exploit at points, even if they couldn't take all their chances there. But generally, I just think it was nice just to play some friendlies and for it not to really matter and for the players just to sort of be able to go and have a run around and have some fun. In the sunshine... Well, I for know, the second game. Yes, it was in the pitching range. It was first. really packed weather for the first game. But I love the way in the commentary for the Italy game, Siobhan Chamberlain had to kind of backtrack because she was worried that she was giving it too much on the Englander here having a nice holiday and being like, it's not actually a holiday, guys. <laughs> I didn't think anyone thought that, but it was quite funny because the overall energy, especially of Tuesday's game, was like fun in the sun and they, we were texting Jesse during the game about England's lineup. Oh here we go you two texting without me <laughs> friend adultery 
don't tell, don't tell look, Becky that we talk when look, she's not here. Becky, if you really want to be involved in the chat, talking about the... Um, you should have come to the studio this the, morning. The intricacies of uh, England's lineup and, uh, you know, who is best placed where, then... Please let we I, can get into I'm trying it. to I'm trying to be better at learning tactics. <laughs> you just told us you didn't even out. care about the friendlies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I care about being included. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most important thing. FOMO trumped everything. Maybe that's why I didn't care because no one was chatting to me about the games. <laughs> yeah, it's our fault. It's our fault. Anyway, I was saying I really liked England's lineup on Tuesday night. I think it's it's really looking like one of the strongest they could put out. I still have this question mark about Lucy Bronze. I still think time is catching up with her a little bit and it pains me to say that. But I do think on paper it was a very, very strong England lineup. Jesse, you were saying that you think Beth Mead is still probably the player that elevates maybe England to that next level as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we we were just sort of talking about um, Rousseau dropping and how that can really help but sort of who from England then takes up the space in the box and you know it's a problem sort of Arsenal have been trying to figure out and I know they obviously want Rousseau to be in the box a bit more but I do think Beth Mead is still the player who feels like she really has that killer instinct when she she can get in the box even though I think Hemp and Kelly have have both really improved in that regard I think Mead just feels like one of those players and I think Mary Ups is like this as well it's just like when they play for England a lot of the time they they manage to find a different level that you don't always see from them at club uh but I think in an attacking sense England kind of have a bit of an embarrassment of riches and I guess probably the most interesting thing from the friendly games was that Grace Clinton started both um which I think not many people would have suspected she started as the eight against Austria and then the 10 against Italy um and I think it's kind of mad when you look at sort of the players who are being kept out of the starting 11. And I mean, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see, like, I still think Lauren James probably would start as a first choice player. I just think her talent ceiling is too high. But I think what Clinton offers off the ball, it's easy to see why potentially England's midfield looks a bit more coherent with her there. But even beyond LJ, you're looking at Jess Park, Ella Toon, obviously Frank Kirby had to go home uh, from the camp and she would have started that. Uh, Austria game but yeah I think in a, a attacking midfield sense and just generally in attacking sense England suddenly feel like they've got absolutely loads of players they can look to and I think the most interesting thing from here to Euro 2025 is going to be I think we know who the first choice players are but who are like the first choice substitutes. Mm, which has always been so crucial to the way that Serena Beeman plays and that textbook sort of um, really worked out method that she had in the Euros where it was on all the, all the same subs at very similar times. We sort of saw that have to adapt a little bit in the World Cup and it would get ourselves out of situations that maybe they hadn't had to in the Euros, but the Spain game. But I do think what I really liked about um, about Tuesday's lineup is there was just so much depth there. It was just, it felt like, 
yeah, and we caveat that with Italy were a bit of a mess. But it just felt like there was the control there and there was the balance, which I think England have sometimes struggled with ever since the Euros. Um, I think the way that kind of Kelly was dropping in centrally and, yeah, providing that option ahead of Russo and just being a bit of a nuisance, I think what you get with Mead is someone who will just take so many shots and take so many chances. And I still think maybe England rely too much on creating really good opportunities, whereas Beth Mead is someone who's just going to have a go. And I think that's, you know, Lauren James maybe offers that a little bit. But you need those sorts of types of players. But yeah, when you look at the balance of the team in both games, but I just felt, especially felt on Tuesday night, it was like they, everyone just felt so clear of you know the roles and responsibilities the plan and it helped that you score what three goals from corners so that kind of gets you off to a pretty solid start and then it's like you have the freedom then as well to um to play with without that pressure um and I think we, we've we seen maybe England try and cover themselves a little bit too much, I think, in games. And they maybe lack that that uh, progression in midfield because they want to have the, the comfort blanket in front of that defence. Whereas I think when you look at that back line now, especially with Moy and Greenwood, you've got two centre-backs who are so comfortable on the ball that that just pr- provides more opportunities for everyone else ahead of them. Wubin Moy as well, getting her first England goal. It's felt like a long time coming, but even a a start has felt like a long time coming. So it was like almost a two-for-one package deal. A very wholesome celebration, not just because of her shout-out for Arsenal fan Izzy, that, you know, she's done that celebration before to kind of recognise her. But just in general, like you could tell from her celebration how much that goal meant to her. And it's funny because so much of the narrative around Lotta Womanmoy and England in the last week has been like, no matter what she does, she's not going to get a, a place to start. We spoke about the fact that, you know, Greenwood got that left-sided role locked down. Well, Wiegmann kind of proved in this game that like she's willing to give a, a chance to establish her in a position, even though it's not where she's been playing this season. Yeah, and I think everyone felt like she deserved to start at some point and I did think it was kind of funny like I understand why people reacted when she didn't start against Austria but also at the same time it is like yeah there are kind of multiple games and you're expecting lots of players to kind of come in and out um but yeah it it was good that she got a start obviously the goal was fun it it did make me laugh because someone had said on Twitter that Serena wouldn't play Lotta with Moy even if she won the Ballon d'Or and then I just couldn't stop thinking about what Lotta with Moy's Ballon d'Or charge might look like so when she scored I was like Flo this is it she's on the way um yeah but I think she she did really look good in that right side of thing I still think the I still think defensively actually maybe the bigger question and Lotta is is once Leah and Millie come back whether Alex Greenwood plays because I think it's fair to say that Greenwood is is still further ahead in the pecking order and do I think you, do you not think she could move out to left back because I think Charles was not great in this game but she's been good for England over the course of the last year but you do you not think that maybe Greenwood could push out Charles at, at left back I think the fact that Rachel Daly has been preferred at left back over the past couple of years over Alex Greenwood suggests that we're in another of Serena Wiegmann's I see this player as play <laughs> as being a centre back in the same way she's like I see Myla Tissier as a right back mm-hmm. rather than a centre back. Um 
I yeah, Charles didn't have a great game. Um, although I do kind of think Greenwood was as much as at fault for the Italy goal as Charles was, because I don't know why she thinks she can take three touches in that area of the pitch. But um, I still think Neve Charles probably has that um, left back position locked down unless her form falls off a cliff more generally as opposed to just not playing very well in one game. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. Becky, what would get you hyped up for England? We've got qualifiers, so they will be Becky obviously would very have just meaningful. Been but... hyped up for these games if England had just slapped a random car brand on <laughs> the games and then Becky would have been front and so centre. Maybe, maybe that's why I couldn't get behind it is because I'm mourning the I, loss that, of this probably, international break being yeah, the Arnold Clark the, Cup. The Feb window, formerly the Arnold Clark Cup window, now this friendly window, that is probably why actually. Good point. If this had been the auto glass repair, auto glass replace <laughs> games, then <laughs> Becky would have loved it. I'd have been there. I think maybe I need more silliness. I need more. If there's no, isn't if there's nothing on the line, then need, I need you need a chaos. trophy. You need a trophy. Yeah, yeah. Get me some random trophy that they could have just made it the Marbella Invitational Cup. Like, because the Pinotar Cup, Scotland lost in the final, but like it's still a meaningless trophy. Just slap something on it, and it gives it some status yeah. and there's something at stake. Speaking of, Spain went and bloody won the Nations League and we talked about this on Monday, but they celebrated that goddamn trophy like they'd won the World Cup and I respect it. I know the Nations League is new and this year it has a bit of extra sprinkling because of the Olympic qualification, but in reality, most years it's not going to have that. And I respect the fact that they loved this. They wanted it. It was a big moment. And uh, yeah, I think in the in the age of Celebration Police TM nonstop, I really enjoyed the fact that they just gave it the big one. Listen, I believe that when they lost that first Arnold Clark Cup, it cut deep. <laughs> and that is why ever since then... They've had to go, and that's why they're so excited for the Nations but League because it's Arnold in Clark champions. You will never you will see, never never see that. that. Do you think that Patea's having to share the golden boot <laughs> with Millie Bright? She thought, obviously, she's not been the same since her injury. But they looked at those pictures. They hang it up in the dressing room. And they say, "Never again shall <laughs> we have this. Never again shall a centre back be sharing the golden boot at whatever invitation or whatever tournament it is." Don't you girls let that happen again? Do you think? that's motivated them it's like that meme with the the dominoes and it's like <laughs> millie bright and alexia putea sharing the golden boot of the arnold clark cup and then the big one is spain winning the nation's league world cup oh. or the nation's league. <laughs> <laughs> the nation's league come on the nation's so league is more important than the world cup so the nation's because league. the nation's league only has european teams and famously we only care about and believe in the <laughs> ability of european so teams. true but yeah i just think why the hell not? You celebrate that like you've like you've. Bloody... It's a great trophy, I will say. Really big. good, big. Love that. It reminds me of UEFA Cup original, like UEFA Cup Ooh, trophy, yeah. big old thing that you can really get your hands around. You know, meaty trophy. I love it. <laughs> yeah, because the World Cup, that trophy is just a bit. It's nice, but no, I do think FIFA. If you're listening, please. I don't think the Women's World Cup's been going long enough that we if people would care too much. Am I speaking? I quite like the I quite like the Women's World Cup. I trophy. don't know. I wouldn't want them to change it, but I'm just saying 
the Nations League trophy is better, in my opinion. <laughs> I think when you look at the Jules Rimet and the men's like World Cup... But that Cup, one's quite been... weedy as well, isn't it? What, the Jules Rimet? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So look at what they've got now in the Men's World Cup. Can you imagine if we had a good old meaty one like that in the Women's World Cup? We need, you need, to, you don't but want to hollow... I'm saying it is like quite tiny, the Men's World Cup one. Yeah, but it looks no, heavy. No, but it's, it's heavy and it's it's mm. thick, you know? <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the hand motions. No, okay, about, that. <laughs> Listener, be glad you didn't see those hand motions. <laughs> There's something about... There's something about a hollow trophy that I just can't get behind. What we need is more trophies that in women's football that you can drink out of. Exactly. Mm. We just don't have a lot of that. Yeah. That's the true. WSL trophy. You know what you can cup. drink out of? Arnold Clark Cup. Fucking hell. Drink out of that. <laughs> you can play drink out of that. Of course you can. <laughs> they, they, the Arnold Clark Cup could do no wrong. Exactly. They just, they get it. Um. Jesse, it was another starring performance from Aitana Bonmati. Michael Cox done a brilliant piece in The Athletic about the fact that, you know, after the World Cup, she was deservedly the best player in the world, best player in the tournament. But actually, she has levelled up in such a incredible way and showed that in the Nations League, showed that for Barcelona this season. And, yeah, it was, I think, an amazing way to kind of like cap off her 23 24 if you like yeah I always find it really satisfying when someone cleverer than me writes something that I thought I always feel like oh and that's how I felt when I wow, read Michael's uh, piece humble brag <laughs> bloody hell what no, why is that humble brag it, I'm not saying it. I'm clever that's the point I'm saying no, Michael Cox said, is very you, clever you said you, you <laughs> said I thought of it and they've written it you're like ooh <laughs> yeah, manifested that, I'm saying that's satisfying yeah. surely everyone likes that yeah but I think yeah, it's, it's like when it's Lean like when you it. say something this is such a dad thing when you say something when you're watching football and then the commentator exactly. says it yeah. like, that's a humble brag that's okay we've all been there okay. I love it too Fine. Own it. I'm not you sure. You are smart, Jesse. Yeah. Own it. Great. Thank you. Now I feel like I've gone compliment fishing. So. <laughs> and it worked. You hooked a big one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of totally agree with what Michael wrote. He sort of had two facets to it, which was one that Aitana's basically been even better this season, and two that Mariona Caldente is also really good. Um, I don't know why. But I disagree with what he said that she's not. She's most Spain's most underrated player. I think she's still massively rated. I think relative to sort of the Barcelona stars, I would say obviously Aitana, obviously Alexia, Salma is often thought of as ahead of her. I think Patri and Mappi get a lot more uh, really? credit I don't than know. she Maybe does. Maybe that's just because I'm not looking in the right places. But I always it's I've because always you're, it's you like work bon with Matty me Calidente. and I'm Mariona Pills. Okay, so. <laughs> Maybe that's my lines are blurred. Anyway. I think what both her and Aitana do really well, and this is obviously what Michael touches on in his piece, is that sort of ability to drift and make it very unpredictable for defenders around what they're going to do. I think when I was watching her last night, I was thinking about when she came on for Barcelona in the first leg of the semi-final against Chelsea and Salma had been playing on the left and I mean it still is ridiculous that I did see this happen but Marimielda basically just shut Salma down because it was like so obvious that Salma was just going to try and run past her that it felt very easy for Mielda even though it was very impressive that she did this given that Marimielda's 
not the youngest player in the world and Sam Paruello is a champion 400 meter runner. Um, but like, because she knew where she was going, it was a lot easier to block her off. Whereas as soon as Mariona came on, it was this sense, it was like, well, she might stay out wide, but she also might come in and then she's overloaded in midfield, but then she also might run forward and be a threat in the, the penalty box. And I think it's that kind of movement which really distinguishes her and I also wonder if that's kind of why maybe sometimes she doesn't get as much credit because I think she's one of those players who if you don't like watch her a lot she can kind of go under the radar but her movement often opens up space for other players on the pitch and I also think that's something Aitana does really well but I also feel like what Aitana's really continuing to improve on is that ability that Alexia really has to be in the right place at the right time in the penalty area. And that's what we saw last night with that opening goal against France. Yeah, it's going from being a big part of controlling games to then being an impact in scoring goals in games and how you become that basically box-to-box, like incredible player where you're so controlled, you've got speed, you can travel with the ball but you can play in teammates and follow up that movement it's like the action doesn't stop I think so many players uh, when when you're in a system that's maybe a little bit more kind of um, like concrete and there's not a, as much kind of movement and freedom you can't do that but obviously the way that Spain play and the way that Barcelona play and, and the role she's been given is that she can do that and also you know they control games in a way that you're always going to have so much of the ball to play with. And it was quite hard work for France, as you would expect. But I think this game made France look especially poor, which is frustrating because actually it's been a decent Nations League for them. But yeah, it was just kind of one-way traffic. And most of the first half was just slow-mo replays of France sliding in to challenge Spain and trying to break up play and then inevitably conceding a foul. But... Yeah, Spain just look like, you know, they're going to dominate women's football. And I think a lot of people would be looking at them as, yeah, out and out favourites for the Olympics as well. I think they're probably favourites for the Olympics, but I am intrigued by Spain. I think they're obviously a very good team, but I do think there's a sense that now because they've won the World Cup and because they've got the players they've got, people have begun to play the idea of Spain rather than Spain themselves. And like... Well, you it's mean there's, like, there's like a fear factor. Yeah, but I just think like it's easy to forget that like during the World Cup, Spain were thrashed by Japan. Yeah, exactly. Mm. No, exactly. And I don't think like I understand why they're favourites for the Olympics, and I think that's fair. And I think obviously they are the best team in Europe right now. But I also still think there are ways to get at this Spain team. Um, and I feel like yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how sort of sides approach that because I think for a long time there was a sense of like Spain have all these amazing players but you know no sense of direction their managers are very good so tactically they're not very developed and I do think there are elements of that which have changed but I also think uh, there's elements of that which haven't changed at all and it's going to be yeah I'm just intrigued to see how like oppositions deal with that because I think it's a very small sample size that Spain have like rocketed to being like the best team in the world. Yeah, but at the same time, I feel like um, Japan provided the blueprint, but but the fact that no one else has managed to copy and paste that says a lot. And I know that when you look at Spanish football and the culture and the style of play, like the, 
all these eras that Spanish football has had, whether it's in the men's game and now in the women's game, like they're still they're still not perfect. There there are still ways and weaknesses to to challenge them. But I do think it it, it requires such a elite efficient method that like the fact that I'm just going to say though in their Nations League group they almost lost to Sweden who I think we can all agree are pretty washed and they did draw with Italy (laughs) who I think we can all agree are pretty washed so I just sometimes think it's easy to look at the Spanish headlines and I'm not like I think they are the best team in Europe right now but I don't think the gap is as big as it is if you've just watched the World Cup final and the Nations League finals. Germany qualified for the Olympic Games, which... Congratulations, Cute Kelly. That's, that's literally what I thought when, when you said that. I was like, Cute Kelly. <laughs> I think it's important because it's been a bad... Well, ever since the Euros final, really, a bad period. Crashed out of the World Cup at the group stages. He didn't qualify for the last Olympic Games. It is really tough to qualify for the Olympic Games from Europe. But still, it feels like an important moment. But Jesse, as someone who's been pretty critical, I would say, of... Germany in recent, you know, 18 month period, which is that a fair way to say you've been, your stock is low on Germany right now? They went out of the World Cup in the group stages. <laughs> no, I, mean, I just didn't want to speak for you, you know, and say, no, no yeah. I'm a big fan. Yeah. But like, how much does this actually tell us about any progress, if anything? Because I'm looking at this and saying, yeah, okay, good that they got through, but I'm still expecting a bit of a disappointing Olympic Games for them, but I don't know if that's too harsh. A lot of it obviously will depend on the draw and it is such a tough tournament because there's only 12 teams, so it's probably one of the hardest ones as well. Um, But am I being too harsh? I think obviously Germany have gone through this weird bit of time where they've like replaced their manager, but it was all kind of, obviously because Martina Vostecklenburg wasn't very ill, it was, wasn't very well. It was all a bit of a strange kind of process. I do think in terms of um, how they've played under their new coach and kind of some of the players who've come in, they they do look better in some senses. I think the playing Nuskin and Oberdorf in midfield together has been quite fun. I think it's allowed Oberdorf to get higher up the pitch, um, which I think has been interesting to see. And I think it makes their midfield feel a little bit less predictable. Um, Judah Brands played more, which obviously I'm a big fan of. Um, and Julia Gwynn's come back from her injury and obviously she wasn't available before. And I think that's obviously a big boost for them. I still think defensively, having Hegering and Kathy Hendrick as your centre-back duo is funny. Um, so I don't know. I, I do think there are areas where it feels like Germany need to... I think they have the quality to move away from some of these older players, but it feels like they just can't let go um and I think that will be interesting to see like when that process happens and in some ways I do wonder whether going to the Olympics is like not a bad thing I think obviously it's an important thing for their like mentality and feeling like they're at the top table still but it is one of those things where I just look at this team and I'm like I feel like you need to move some players on and I don't know when that's going to happen because you're going to want to play those older players I think again at the Olympics but maybe I'm being harsh we'll see I think we have started to see some of those like changes come through it'll be interesting to see how they develop um I think this was a game against Netherlands where felt like they didn't really have to try that hard I thought the Netherlands were pretty disappointing 
They've got some injuries. It, will, and it should stuff. be caveated with the fact that obviously Jill Rod's not available long term. Vicky Belova and Viv Miedemar had to go home. Um, and I think Pelova in particular has been, maybe aside from Esme Brutes, like probably their best sort of player for the national team over the past year or so. Um, but yeah, I felt like, I guess kind of similarly to the Germans, you know, you've got this like quite old, familiar sort of front line of like Bierenstein and Martins playing together and you've got Daniela van der Donk. And again, maybe there's this sense of like, all right, some of those new players need to like come through and establish themselves. And obviously we have seen that with players like Brutes, with players like Pullover. Um, Vika Kaptein played in this game and she looked really good. So I think with both of these teams, there's a sense of them being in transition. And I also think this is interesting in relation to the Spain point. Um, because I do feel like generally my vibe from the Nations League finals was just like, there are a lot of teams of Euro- in Europe who feel like they're sort of trying to figure out what direction they go in next. And I think as a result, like lots of European international football feels a bit flat at the moment. And I think I've really enjoyed the Nations League, but I thought these semi-finals and finals were generally poor. I don't think any of them was like felt like a really good game. Does yeah, that make I, don't, sense? I don't think the call. I think the there's been fun in the individual moments. I would say the quality has not been fantastic. Like you think of, um, you know, the Austrian Italy's performances, and a lot of the the Nations League semi-finals were pretty stodgy. The final between France and Spain were pretty stodgy. So yeah, I would I would agree with that. But I think maybe that's just a factor of also like the mid-season window that we see here it's not it's Maybe, often it's but... often not the most tantalizing and also the way that we're falling in a cycle of euros then world cup obviously the olympics is important but i do think it's like everyone is reaching that sort of exhaustion stage where like you say i think it's stuck between how we evolve ahead of what is n- another major tournament but how we also rest and recover after the intensity of two back-to-back big cycles yeah and again maybe like for the netherlands not going to the olympics could be potentially a bit of a blessing in disguise in the same way people have talked about it for england because they were the only team who it was still they it was still possible for them to have done olympics euros world cup olympics euros and now no team will have done that obviously because the three european teams from the last olympics are not the three european teams from this olympics um which is interesting in itself Mm -hmm. right but i just mean generally i think if you look at germany if you look at the netherlands if you look at sweden they're all teams who've historically had well yeah over the past five years have been really big within europe but they're all i think in the process of sort of figuring out what does a new like sort of first choice starting 11 look like how do we move on from some of those players and i think that's kind of contributing to this kind of strange malaise mm. that's maybe fallen on i also just European think it's football. like such a like the competition in Europe is so tough that I also think that's a factor as well because some of these games have been like especially in the Nations League like tough groups England have oh yeah suffered from that so I think the overall competition also brings that kind of like clash of intensity and level where like some teams just aren't gonna aren't gonna dominate because the opposition is is that much better than maybe they would have played in previous like I think that's the beauty of now having this nation league is that you get tighter games and I guess this is maybe what we're seeing as a consequence of that as well um but I think it's it's impressive to see the way the Netherlands have kind of bounced back from uh that poor Euros um with a you know really 
pretty strong performance at the World Cup, followed by getting to Nations League semi-final. Obviously disappointing not to get to Olympic Games, but I do think after feeling like they were a bit of a, you know, fork in the road, maybe after that Euros, I think it's I think I think their fans probably feel generally fairly positive about the direction in which they're going. It's now like, right, how can we push on and challenge again for finals like we were? a few years ago because there was a, maybe a bit too much focusing on the morning of Serena Vigman and not much looking ahead, whereas I think they've maybe flipped that now. Um, and the future, they've got some exciting young players, like you say. So, yeah, Olympic Games, it's going to be fun. Uh, Australia also finally qualified. I mean, it was inevitable, but they finally got it done. And so, yeah, we've got, you know, Australia always in there. So they're like everyone's fave Olympic team. I mean, so, more excitingly, because I think we all knew Australia were going to thrash Uzbekistan, as they did. But Japan narrowly beating North Korea mm. to make the Olympics as well. That was, there's been oh, some... Oh, I can wear my Japan shirt to the Olympics. I thought you were about to say, oh, I can wear my North, North Korea, Korea shirt. shirt. I was like, wow. <laughs> Didn't know you had that one. <laughs> anyway, that's enough Olympic chat. Let's talk about the North London Derby. So this game, historically, has always been one where we felt like, oh, Arsenal are just going to smash Spurs. Because of what happened at Spurs Stadium at the end of last year, it's taken on a new level and a new meaning. Now, I will say, I still think Arsenal are going to smash Spurs <laughs> I was going to say, what new level do you mean? But, 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 I do think it has changed the dynamic of this game because Spurs obviously joined the WSL at a much later point and hadn't played Arsenal that much in games. It was like friendlies or cops or whatever. So that point that they got a few seasons ago was their first ever point against Arsenal. They've now levelled up to the point where they get that win at the Spurs stadium. And now I, I do think that has maybe woken Arsenal up a bit. Not like, yes, in terms of the season, obviously that that really bad result against West Ham. But I do think it's kind of given their heads a bit of an important wobble. And I think as a result of that, we might see quite a statement performance from Arsenal. And I think they're really going to want to put down a marker against Spurs because of what happened at Spurs Stadium. And maybe we'll see, we'll see Spurs punished a little bit for that. Arsenal created chances in that game. It's not like they, you know, they they didn't have any opportunities. And I do think at home, a place they feel really comfortable playing Spurs and have had big wins before, I just feel like this could end up as quite a bad result for Tottenham. Yeah, I can't really figure out where Spurs are sort of in relation to this. I always think games after the international break are just so hard to predict in terms of how teams are going to come back and... I think, you know, potentially for both teams, there's, well, for Arsenal at least, there's certainly going to sort of have to be some kind of, of rejigging, obviously, because Lacasse and D'Angelo are at the Gold Cup. Um, Emily Fox, obviously, also, she'd already gone, though, before she wasn't available for that Manchester United game. Um, I guess there's also a question mark over whether Katie McCabe will be fit because she came off during that Ireland match. Um, and there was actually quite a lot of criticism about about Ireland's performance in that and also around a bit of a lack of leadership from McCabe. So I think it's interesting as well because she is such a kind of like Jekyll and Hyde character, the impact of what 
that result, I know, you know, in the grand scheme of things, maybe it's not that important, but I do wonder about the impact of that and the situation. Do you think she'll be bothered that they lost to Wales? I do think, because I do think like there's a little bit of a maybe pressure on it and because mm. of the way she's seen in that team, which is such an influential character. It's basically like head coach Katie McCabe. And the there was such looking at Irish media after that game, they were really gutted at home in front of a big crowd, felt a bit embarrassed. And I think McCabe was definitely noted as one of the people that sort of disappeared in the moment. And I right. think that I think there could be an impact. I don't know. Yeah, I mean maybe. Um and obviously Catley and Ford are coming back from Australia. So I uh, and Kyra Cooney Cross as well, of course. So it, it is going to be interesting. I do think Arsenal are in a position whereby they're going to want to hit the ground running. But I think it's fair to say that even though I think they should be fine still, there are like kind of absentees from that squad, which is going to sort of change how things get reshuffled for the match. Um, Tottenham, though, I do feel like just generally seem to have gone off the boil a little bit. I'm not convinced about this Martha Thomas, Beth England combo. And it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Villahams use the international break. Maybe to think about that, maybe to think about how that gets um, rejigged. Because I just feel like the two of them together is not creating the kind of real attacking thrust that um, that the team really needs or certainly doesn't have the same kind of thrust that the t- it felt like the team had when when Thomas was sort of playing on her own and England wasn't really fit. Um, so, yeah, it's, go- it's going to be an interesting game. I do think Arsenal will be fine, though. I just feel like... I know they've had some, like, wobbly moments at the Emirates and obviously losing to Liverpool. It just feels like, though, the past couple of games, they've they've managed to find... They've managed to find their form a little bit more. I think if you go from... Obviously, they lose to Liverpool. They're 1-0 down to Villa. They have that comeback. They then smash Chelsea. They then smash United. It just feels like it's become a different kind of venue for them. Like you said, Jesse, I think Spurs have like not been as good. And I think maybe that Arsenal-Spurs match kind of met at a point where Arsenal weren't where they are now and Spurs were maybe at their... like peak of how well they were doing in the league which was obviously I think a lot better than people were expecting at the beginning of the season and I think those things have now kind of switched and Spurs are kind of on the way down and Arsenal have found their form so I just think it's going to be a very different game to the first one. It feels like this perfect storm right of Arsenal being on this charge to try and establish themselves and be in the title race again which they are and then Spurs having poor recent results, new signings in January that haven't quite blended yet. Robert Villaham maybe still making some tweaks to the system, re-establishing themselves, losing players in January as well, some injury issues. It just does feel like this situation where we're going to see two two teams in different stages in their season and a bit of a reverse scenario. But you never know. I think Spurs at their core, are still a decent team. But I just feel like everything for me is pointing to Arsenal having an Emirates moment, which against Spurs is like one of their fave hobbies, is just blowing away Spurs at the Emirates. But I think it's nice to have a derby that feels like, because of that result at Spurs Stadium, it's got more importance to it now because we've never looked at this game as being, you know, a proper derby 
in the past because Spurs just have never quite put up enough of a fight. But I do think that result has given it, you know, more drama, more intensity, more status, which I think is really important in the long run. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And like, we shouldn't forget that obviously Spurs also drew with Arsenal at Meadow Park, which I think, you know, they spoke after the the win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. At and that ha- famous, didn't they get famous point at the Hive as well? Where they, they had drawn, won that game. They had drawn with Arsenal yeah. before, yeah, in the Conti Cup as well. That's when Alex Morgan misses the penalty. Um but, you know, they talked about how that experience at Meadow Park had sort of like given them confidence going into the game against uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I do think, obviously, they will have more... They, you're going to go into a game with more confidence if you've played Arsenal twice this season already and you've not, like, lost... I mean, obviously, they technically lost on penalties in the Conti Cup, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, you've not lost in kind of normal time slash open play. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think obviously they will feel like they could get something from it because they've got something from both the games they played at Arsenal so far this season. I just think, a bit like what you're saying, Flo, it, it just feels like the teams are maybe at slightly different different points right now and I think Arsenal will be fine. I did just look at the stats of that last game as well and Arsenal had 30 shots to Spurs. Yeah, that's like what I'm saying. Few. It's like Arsenal it, it, did miss a lot of opportunities yeah. in that game. And it's it's also like if you've played a game like that where you've been absolutely peppered and you've managed to hold on and get a goal, I think that gives you maybe confidence to do that kind of thing again. And it's similar to the um, Charlton game. Spurs had one shot on target and scored it. And so maybe they maybe they're ready to kind mm. of go in thinking we're gonna get absolutely pelted with chances and we just have to hold Ride strong and get and get our one goal. My on, my on argument would always be it's impossible to replicate that. But I mean obviously yeah. Charlton and Arsenal are different situations. I but think you look at the games the against scenario. Manchester City and you say, Yeah, because obviously they had that massive defeat to them and they now seem to play Manchester City every week. But <laughs> you know, both that they lost two nil in the league and they lost one nil in the Conti Cup. But I think in both games they sort of showed, yeah, much more defensive solidity, a bit like what Becky's talking about. I think again though, this comes back to this feeling of like okay, but who are your sort of counter-attacking options? And that's kind of one of the reasons why I think the England and Thomas thing doesn't really feel like it it works. Um, Someone who I would be really intrigued to see if she would start is Wang Shuang. Because every time she's played, I've been really impressed. And she feels like she's kind of got that speed who if you are going to look to play on on the counter-attack, she could be really worth bringing into the team. Um, Potentially having someone like Grace Clinton back in the ten and Wang Shuang out wide with either England or Thomas sort of ahead. But yeah, that'll be interesting to see, as I say, whether Villaham sort of thought about that. But I agree, Becky, that I think Spurs have got a lot better at sort of withstanding pressure. And what was notable about that Arsenal game is even though they took a lot of shots, the actual chances created weren't that good because Spurs defended well. Mm, I think fans have been quite excited about seeing Wang Shang start she came in in that game against Villa and I think people were maybe through maybe felt like she was throwing a bit of a a, you know hospital pass and coming into a game that things weren't going quite well but that she was quite poor in the part that she played in that game but there are changes in the yeah they have got that blueprint of doing it so who's to say they can't do it again Jesse quickly Chelsea I feel like they need to like settle themselves a bit now, this post-international break, ahead of a massive game against Arsenal at the Stamford Bridge, which is in a few weeks' time. It's like that is over the horizon. Would you say 
this Leicester game is a nice way to sort of try and kickstart a, a, a strong second half of the season, which is one of their favourite things. Yeah, I mean, last on Sunday, I hate going last on Sunday. Um, it's the worst game because I feel like everyone turns to sort of, it's like the heads of the WSL swivel <laughs> to you with everyone else's points already on the board. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously they they finished off by losing to Manchester City, but I don't really think they need to reset. They've like kind of had mixed performances I would say but I think you know broadly they've played pretty well and adjusted I think to in the way that they needed to adjust um obviously the official ACL is a blow and that is going to sort of change I think the way they have to think about these games again you know they've gone from having two strikers to one striker to two strikers to one striker um and all the sort of like realities that come with that you you don't then have a, a player who you can just sort of look to to bring off off the bench or potentially starting games and um, have that different option up top. Uh, But yeah, I mean, if Chelsea don't beat Leicester, it would obviously be a surprise. So maybe we'll start the inquest then (laughs) rather than now. Can you imagine the Monday Jesse like counterpress depression if Chelsea lose to Leicester like we the, the the losing those title race games is bad enough but I think it'll be a new level of like head loss I don't know though because like obviously it would but also there's a sense of like those title title games rattle me more <laughs> because there are more people about to annoy you <laughs> like <laughs> I don't really, I think the Leicester thing, I mean, yeah, I probably would, I obviously would Come be annoyed. On, you but, would be. No, but there's something like specifically annoying. Like if you lose to Arsenal, it's annoying because Arsenal fans are like in your face about it. Whereas mm. like there's not going to be a Leicester fan in my face. I'll now find one for get, you. Now yeah, I'm Becky get will be there. Becky will set up a fake Twitter profile just called like <laughs> Fox number one fan. Don't and worry, then just I still got you. Becky muted on Twitter from the weekend. So. <laughs> oh my God. I did, I did, um... I did wonder if you had muted me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So many that apps coming through. Jessie's I mean, I did replying. just like tweet like relentlessly about Liverpool for the rest of the weekend. So I was like, I hope Jesse's muted me for our friendship. Yeah. It's just easier. Just well, log off Twitter, mute Becky. Okay. We'll find out. Skip past her on Instagram. Come Monday. <laughs> um, Becky, hope your ankle gets better slash... Don't go like if we see you at that club night. I swear. I've been, I've been upfront. I've been honest. I'm going to the club night. Whether I have to crawl there, there will be an adjudication panel in the counterpress group <laughs> chat, and we will ask Gillian and Kate what their thoughts are before we maybe invoke a, a penalty, a point deduction <laughs> as a result. Jesse, you're going to be at the Leicester game, I presume? I'm not, actually. Oh. I'm taking a weekend of leisure at home. <gasps> what? Wow. So getting back from Leicester to Worthing no, for true. a six o'clock kickoff. And it's, oh, it's yeah, the Sky Evening nice. game, so Yeah, and stand. then I thought about going to the North London derby and then I thought Arsenal was going to win that. So I was like, just take the day, just take a Sunday at home. I'm wow. going to North London derby and I'm taking loads of 40... Plus women's gold diggers people. I heard as about a this last night. Treat. Why are you doing that? How random. Uh, it's just, um, you know, a little bit of nice uh, Ian Wright, you know. They're having for, a little brunch. For the good they? of the community Cute. vibe. So, yeah, I thought, you know, a lot of a 40 plus age group 
don't get don't get a lot of love. It's all about the millennials. It's all about the Gen Z. So too many kids get good stuff at football. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. So my mum's coming. She's about to turn seventy, and she's never been to the Emirates. And it's all about all about highlighting our, the mums. Gold diggers so. are going to have to raise the age though, because like everybody at Gold Diggers is. In their thirties now. I was gonna it say will just that be, it will be forty plus for all of us at some point. <laughs> uh, everybody, have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday, wherever you'll be. Hope you enjoy the game and maybe see some of you at the NLD.